everybody. Welcome to Making It, a weekly podcast about how to build a great business, produced by Enterprise. Your 6am briefing on finance, business and economics in Egypt. This season is brought to you by CIB, the partner of choice for CEOs and leaders of businesses at all stages of their growth stories. By the United States Agency for International Development, which has a 40-year history of inspiring Egyptian success in partnership with the government and the people of Egypt. And by EFG Hermes, the leading financial services corporation in frontier emerging markets, helping businesses realize their full growth potential. Your host today is Hashem, Enterprise's Executive Editor. Every artist was first an amateur. So said renowned French artist Henri Matisse. And it seems that Lina Mouefi took her favorite artist's words to heart when she co-founded TAM Gallery to give amateur artists a chance to get off the ground. Lina herself was a struggling artist until she and her childhood friend, Dina Chaben, decided to take matters into their own hands and create an online platform that'll accept art that isn't quite bougie. Formerly known as ArtSmart, Tam's online gallery started up in 2011 and was an immediate success, allowing the duo to open a physical art space in 2014. They also started up Tam Corporate, a third arm to the company that aims to bring art into public spaces. As for where the art enthusiasts are today, Tam Gallery now holds the largest inventory of contemporary Egyptian art in the world, with over 9,000 artworks and 500 artists in their portfolio. The business has seen growth on both the revenue side and on the exhibit side, largely out of interest from regional buyers and locals who are increasingly looking to art as a form of investment. She's here to unwrap the business of art for us and tell us how a niche market can become a cultural staple and grow to be a great business. Thank you. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. I hope this is going to be enlightening. Our readers and listeners, some of them are affluent. Some of them would like to get into the art scene. And no matter how they can, you know, fake that they know art and, you know, that they got a taste for it. Honestly, no one really, really knows but the insiders. Before we begin, we do this thing with our guests where we ask them a little about their childhood, specifically toys and the (laughs) games that they played when they were little. And, you know, from someone in the art scene, this should be very, very interesting. I hope it's not an (laughs) etch-a-sketch because that is just so lame and predictable. I have something even more lame. Really? Don't set your expectations too high. Lame is coming straight up. Let's hit me. Let's go. My favorite toy was, of course, the Barbie. But... Gasp! Gasp! I know, I know. Can you believe it? I'm hardly ashamed. (laughs) But the thing is, we used to uh, gather in groups. And our Barbies would have like larger than life personalities that be stories and they'd continue from one week to the next, you know, be like an epic drama where like this Barbie died last week, but she was resurrected this week by some magical miracle. It was really like over the top. But my other favorite game, which might have influenced me in terms of work was Monopoly. And how do you, how did that whole, well, we get where Monopoly comes in, in Mm -hmm. terms of business. Mm -hmm. What about the Barbie? How did that help the Barbie inspire the business or... I don't think the Barbie inspired the business as much as it inspired the imagination. It's like you're writing a story or you're... Imagine if you're writing a movie or writing a play, you'd need characters. The Barbie provided the characters, which were the units of building stories. So there would be new stories every week and stories that are developing and characters that are developing. It was imaginative and it was creative and it was also fun. 
because it's up to you where to take it. So yeah. let me ask this. Do you ask those questions of the art pieces that you look at? Like, what is the story behind that piece? Absolutely. And Absolutely. the characters and all of that just Absolutely. gets drawn. Art is so many stories that are intertwined and told and retold and reinterpreted and left to your imagination. Imagination for me is the unit of life. I think there's a lot more imagination in Barbies than in Monopoly. So tell us how you get into the art scene. Okay, so I started out my professional career after graduation in advertising and it didn't really make me happy. I wasn't very happy doing it. I've been painting and drawing and studying art since I was a child. I studied art throughout school, throughout university, and I was shadowing one of Egypt's great artists and spent a lot of years and hours painting and drawing and being an artist basically, but not as a career. It wasn't a profession that felt accessible. It wasn't something that felt like I can go home and tell my parents, I'm going to be an artist. It sounded like I'm taking the easy way out. You know, that didn't sound like something that can be sustainable. It's not something that you can see a clear career path. It's not something that you can generate income from. You can't necessarily guarantee Success being an artist, it seemed like one of those things that if you're lucky enough and you're one in a million, you can be an artist, but it's not for us. Then at some point I realized I need to chase this. I need to see how this can happen. I need to make this happen. I'm running out of time. I was maybe around uh, 28. I went and I studied in Florence. I went and I studied in London. You know, I wanted to overcompensate for being out of the arts for whatever the amount of years that I, I was out of the arts from. And I came back and I applied to a few galleries. There weren't at the time a lot of galleries. The, the interest in art was quite low. The art scene was very, very much unawakened. And the few galleries that did exist were very set in their ways. They wanted to show very well-established artists. They wanted to show artwork that was very highly priced so, so they can stay open, so that they can keep their own businesses sustainable. The pool of clients that were invited to these shows were very, very niche. It was a very small community and it was almost impossible to penetrate. So these galleries weren't very open or keen on showing young artists. They weren't very adventurous. They didn't want to experiment, even though they liked the artwork and they thought it was worthy of display, but maybe go and do a student show or maybe come back in a couple of years. Nothing personal. Right. It's me and the thousands of artists who are my age and everybody who's been graduating for 10 years. I don't know where these artists were going. I was sitting down with a friend of mine, you know, really frustrated after having come out of a gallery, being told to leave my CD, maybe in two years, maybe in three years, we'll call you back. And she told me that day, that was the, the very moment of inception. And she told me, how do you feel? I said, I'm honestly not disappointed. I'm baffled. And I'm, my main question is, where have all the artists gone? I'm quite sure there are thousands of people like me. And she said, well, I'm interested in your art. It's more relatable. It's something that I can connect with. It's at a price point that I can afford. And I'm sure there are thousands of people like me too. So that was the gap that you that spotted. That was the gap that we spotted together. And it was like... You realized there was this like island of misfit toys and, and artists that were not getting their break. Yes. And because, they had to... Because how many years of university graduates have gone by until you reach 60? Right. And how do you break into the art scene at, at 60 if you've never been in the art scene? So how does this go on? How is that sustainable? And it was just right there over coffee. It was in Zamelik. It was completely unexpected. And we said, let's build a platform for people like me. Let it be democratic. Let it be online. Let people apply. Let's not be the people who say what's art and what's not. Let's, let us give people the opportunity to choose. If you don't like it, don't buy it. Move on. But let's give a space and let's create this opportunity for people to show the art in the first place. Trying to democratize the scene in a this bit. Was, this was the very initial spark or idea. This was in 2010. 
And it took us a while to work on the website in which time the revolution happened. And that served us. Actually, I think um, the launch of ArtSmart Online, which was in 2012, was divine. The timing was divine. At that point, everybody was under house arrest. A lot of the brick and mortar galleries have closed because people aren't leaving their homes. And if they're leaving their homes, they're not necessarily going to see art. And online, the world was happening. Everybody was on Facebook. Everybody was on Twitter. Everybody was looking for news. Everybody was looking for interaction. And artists were charged. Suddenly, the young have a voice. It was a national feeling. Everybody felt supercharged. You literally felt it in the street because the street art was just exploded at that year. It exploded. Suddenly, all of these artists that have been quiet for years and years were painting and posting online and discussing their opinions and given a voice. Just the, the feeling that they can somehow express themselves and be heard and by the time we launched it was so easy to get in on that trend and be part of that and become a source of joy rather than all the confusion or negativity or sort of feeling of hopelessness that was sometimes present at those times people were looking to art to feel something positive to see the silver lining so to speak and because it was an online gallery it took off on the first night i remember the first sale of the first night maybe Two hours and 15 minutes after we announced that the website is live. Wow, that soon, that quickly? That soon. It was 11.15 at night when we had announced that the website was live at 9. Talk about perfect timing. I know. And I remember that sale until today. You know, it was it was a huge, uh, it was can you a big take, sale. Can you tell us what it was? It was for 11,000 pounds. And that was a huge number because the artwork was not expensive. We started out with six artists and myself. So a total of seven artists. And the price points at that point were all in a few, within a few hundred pounds. So can you imagine how many pieces of art that wow. person ordered? It was life-changing. And at that moment, I, I had to call the client almost at midnight to make sure that this is not a hoax, to make sure that this person is real <laughs> and that this is a real order. I wasn't an e-commerce whiz. I wasn't anything, but I wanted to know that somebody's serious. They're not messing with me. And luckily it was somebody I kind of knew. And she was like, your website is the best thing that has happened to me in God knows how many years. Wow. Yeah. What a story. And yeah. it just took off from there. And that, and that was it. And then things happened, like the ball started rolling in all sorts of different directions. Making It is brought to you in association with USAID. For 40 years, the American people through USAID have invested over $30 billion to inspire Egyptian success in partnership with the government and the people of Egypt. Tell us about your business model. So we know that you started off online. Yes. And then you got a gallery. Yes. Tell us about that. Tell us how, how, how do you sell your art? Time Gallery, formerly ArtSmart. We operate online and offline. The online business is actually at the core of our, our business. This is where we really cross boundaries. This is where we make the art seen, heard, appreciated everywhere, all the time, 24-7. The offline gallery is a different experience. It's sort of an experiential way of meeting the art. It's where we put on some of our biggest shows, like the Cairo Art Fair. We initiated the Cairo Art Fair. This is going to be our sixth year. Are you noticing growth in attendees? Absolutely. Like are they... The Cairo Art Fair started out being a show inside a hotel. It was, a, at that time, a groundbreaking show because there was very few opportunity to be 
so close to all the range of Egyptian art. And by range, I mean people who have graduated yesterday, literally, alongside well-established masters that have been around for 50 and 60 years, have been shown in very prominent international galleries, have been auctioned off in Sotheby's and Christie's and everywhere. But we've had artists that have been exhibited with Picasso and Dali in their lifetimes. We used to show somebody who's this well-established and this successful next to young, fresh graduates who are the voice of tomorrow, basically. So you could walk through the show and see each and every genre or style or budget or idea or school of art. And it would be a current reflection of contemporary art because all of these are valid. Matched with the old classic. But the old classic is also valid because they're living contemporary artists who spent a lot of years and hours painting and drawing and their own life today. Who says that what you paint is valid and what I paint is not or vice versa? Right. Or sculpt or photograph. So it's not just paintings. It's not it's, just uh, paintings. It's, uh, so tell us, yeah, give us like yeah. a brief. So, of what do you... so, so TAM Gallery, again, I'll go back to the business model. Mm-hmm. We, we, we run the online gallery, which has a direct link to our inventory. And we do the, the, the gallery space, which is actually the largest exhibition space in Cairo. This is where we host our, all of our exhibitions. It's a place, again, where you can be physically in the room with the art. And we do experiential shows. We try to curate the shows in a way that engage you with the art. There's an element of seduction in the gallery that you can't access online easily, like going into the place, seeing other people, talking to people, meeting the artists. And the place has a vibe. I mean, if you go to this gallery, it's a converted warehouse. It's a very exciting place. You go in not knowing where you're going and not knowing what to expect. And the second you step into there, you really feel transported. It takes you somewhere else. It's a massive space. It has a lot of energy. And the other part of TAM Gallery is TAM Corporate. This is our third arm of how we sell art. And the aim of Time Corporate is to spread the art necessarily by making it accessible in in locations outside of homes and galleries. So that would be public areas, hotels, commercial spaces. Oh, okay. So putting the art in places, right. So working with corporations to commission pieces for public spaces. Right. So that that line of business and the galleries, are they supposed to be there to feed through online sales or are you trying to like nail sales down from these as like as separate from the online business? They're all separate revenue channels with different growth curves and different futures. But essentially they all intertwine and they all cross paths at some point. But as revenue channels, they're separate. So by revenue channel and percentage of growth, which line of business is growing the best? I think the corporate is growing the fastest and the most okay. at this point. The online is going through a rebirth at the moment. We're uh, we're relaunching the TAM Gallery into TAM.Gallery, quite literally. And we've partnered with the most advanced and most highly technological ERP system for the arts in England. And what they'll do is they'll provide us with a platform where we can pull from our inventory. And it's worth mentioning that our inventory is over 9,000 pieces. Oh, wow. So it's actually one of the largest inventories in the world. And it's the largest for Egyptian art. How are you growing your customer base? Like, how are you getting, you know, the eyeballs there to see these artists that you're putting forward? It's a great question. We're really trying to create a lot of traffic and a lot of interest in the arts by presenting a very dynamic program. So other than our flagship exhibitions like the Artists of Tomorrow, Cairo Art Fair, Summer Affordable Art Show, which is one of the main hooks for new audiences, the Affordable Art Show particularly, because it 
it sort of breaks the barriers of intimidation between audiences and art. And it gives people the feeling that I don't necessarily need to be affluent or a well-seasoned collector to attend or to choose something or to find something. We actually go out of our way to reach people wherever they are. So we do pop-up exhibitions in random places. We do a lot of work with people on the ground and we, we provide free services, art advisory services and free curatorial services. So if it's your first time ever to consider art, we'll, we'll, we'll handhold you bit by bit so that you know what you like and you know how much you want to spend and you know who you're spending it on and how you want to put it up in your home and what's the value of this versus that and what's the reason you choose So this. a lot of advising has a to l- go into there's it. A l- huh? it's, not, it's not essential, but if for people who feel intimidated or are a little bit more confused or... It's kind of like the sommeliers at restaurants where they tell you the story of the wine and all of that. It's, and it's, like, it's for people who choose to know. Right. Not everybody wants to know and okay. a lot of people are just picking the go-to names and there's there's everything but for people who are interested to know we do provide this service and of course we have very 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 strong social media presence we have very uh, regular well-read email blasts we have very close connections with a lot of collectors locally and regionally. We work with a lot of other platforms that promote the arts, like Artsy. We were one of the very few Egyptian galleries that were invited to artsy.net, which is the largest online platform in the world. It's based in New York. So we grow our audience online a lot. We invest a lot in online exposure through social media, through Artsy, through email, through marketing activities in general. And we make an effort to make that our content is attractive. It's dynamic. It's new. Brings you inside the studio. It brings you inside the concept of the exhibition. It shows you the other side of art. You know, if you're intimidated by the fancy white cube gallery, well, this is not it. This is your 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 artist. Who's... I know I am. Yeah. But that's exactly why we choose our content the way we choose our content. And that's why we build all of these exhibitions to break down these intimidation barriers. You can come in and bring your family and bring your friends and have a nice day and see a lot of art and talk to a lot of people and understand more and ask all kinds of questions. There's no barrier between you and the art. We really try to break down as many of these barriers as possible. And we do have an international audience. Right. Are you trying to make TAM a global brand? Absolutely. The entire purpose of this is, of course, to expose the Egyptian art and show people how good it is. We have a very unique product, let's put it this way. Our art is extremely rich. It's compared to the art of other nations, multi-layered. It's, it's got all sorts of heritage and traditions and influences across so many different parts of Egypt. You know, there's the art that you get from Alexandria is completely different than the art you would get from Upper Egypt. And the art you would get from young people that are influenced by the West and influenced by the internet and technology is completely different from the art you would get from older generations. We have a really exciting mix of subject matter, content, presentation, ideas, and we have the advantage of currency. So our art is actually a very, very good investment for most everyone. There's been a huge interest in Egyptian art lately, worldwide. So there's a connection with this macro, the macro climates and the Egypt, uh, the devaluation of the pound and all of that. Because it makes the art more affordable because the difference in currency makes the art accessible, affordable. And even if it used to be a big risk to take a risk on art from another region or from outside your comfort zone, like if you live in Singapore or if you live in uh, Australia or if you're American, it would be a bit of a risk if you're a collector to purchase art from the Middle East or or from Egypt or from somewhere that's not in your zone. This is very interesting because like how we in general look at the metrics for growth. It sounds to me that yours is just simply finding a way to translate taste and culture and monetizing that and growing that, which is very different from growth in other sectors. 
am I on the money on this? Like, what is growth for you, for Tam and for like the art scene in general? I honestly feel it's unlimited. You know, I feel like the art market is expanding worldwide because the art trend, even though it's it's on a much smaller scale within Egypt, it's growing very fast. Growth is numbers, of course. How many artists we have? So we've grown. Sales, obviously. Oh, that's all, what I sales think. Is, is an easy one. Right, right, right. <laughs> sales, sales. Beyond the, I'm talking about beyond the financials. Beyond like, the financials, yeah. there's definitely the team. The, art, the number of artists we deal with, the people that follow the art, absolutely, this is a key element. You know, how many people we have following us and how many people we have reading our newsletters and how many people we have coming into the exhibitions. And for me, one of the m- most important factors of growth is international traffic on the website. You know, how many people from outside of this bubble are interested to penetrate? How many of them are considering buying Egyptian art? How many of them are emailing us, asking us things? This is also a very good indicator of growth. On the corporate side, Of course, we started out with the one project and now we have a very busy pipeline. So that's also a lot of growth. You know, there are a lot of a lot more corporations are willing to spend good money integrating art into their businesses. So you don't really see a necessity to get another gallery or like open? No, no need. huh? Not at this. So growth for you is more engagement. Growth is is money, number one. Right. And that comes from all the different channels. Right. And people interested in art, this is a field or an industry that previously was sort of unseen or below the radar or slept on. So engagement is key because it's not it's not fashion where everybody's engaged all the time anyway. Right. And it's not restaurants. It's a different sector. So it's a sector that needs active engagement from the consumer. So engagement is key. And for us, growing the numbers, especially the past two years, has been really, really exciting because the numbers are growing much faster than predicted, which is, of course, the great part. But we have to keep up. You know, we have to grow the team. We have to grow the inventory. We have to diversify our services. We have to upgrade our online offering, you know, in order to keep up with this growth. Right. You were talking about the team. And one of the things that we look at on this show is building a great team. Now, if your life story has showed us anything, there is you're not only competing for talent with other galleries, you're kind of competing against other industries, advertising, television, media, all of that. So like, do you feel that this competition is sapping away from the talent pool, especially when we were talking about the artists having to give up on their dreams of being an artist to go and work and leave the art realm? Do you feel that competition? You can't ignore competition, but you'd be surprised our biggest competition is our own social media. How so? Because a lot of people would wait to see the exhibition online rather than come to the show. So we'd have to do things at the show that wouldn't be available online. You know what I mean? It's a really tricky business what competition actually is. That That's for the local market. For the international market, you're competing with the world. Most artists have one thing in common, is that they'd rather do art than anything else. Right. So if they're really serious about their art, they'd be doing it. They could be less serious about their art and be doing something else. That's also a possibility. And a lot of our artists have daytime jobs to keep some secure financial income present. But at the end of the day, artists will most probably do their art or make art or seek art career opportunities before they seek other opportunities. So you don't really see that as a challenge at Absolutely all? Absolutely not. It's, it's a very lucrative business once you're in it. Okay. So people would rather do this than a lot of other jobs. So being paid through art is much more lucrative than being paid as a university professor. Wow. Absolutely. Okay. There's no comparison. So if they can do this, they will absolutely choose this if they want to. Wow. Okay. They say you can't put a price on art, but 
That's your entire business is to put a price on art. How do you do that? How do you how do you value a piece of art? Right. Again, uh, like choosing art, there are parameters that are common practice in this industry. It's not a mystery that we tackle case by case. Things that determine the price of an artwork include, of course, the career of the artist. If he's much younger, if he's been shown a lot, his, as, has he won any awards? Has he been exhibited previously in much more prestigious places like museum exhibitions or things that are nationally very prominent? So the career of the artist is one of the biggest determinants of price. Also, there are other things that people consider, such as previously collected, if he's been collected by some of the most sort of well-established collectors or funds or places, if he's been shown in museums as a prominent collection, not as an exhibition, auctions, of course, if the artist is using particular materials, some mediums are more expensive than others. So, for example, a bronze sculpture would essentially be a little bit more expensive than, let's say, uh, a fiber sculpture or something, because the medium itself is more expensive, size and weight. There's so many determinants, but they're all things that exist within a structure. It's never a random them assumption. Right. Do you look at potential future price? Like No, how- but the other thing that I need to tell you is all this is nice and and fancy on paper. But the one thing that eventually ends up pricing the art is market price. So there will be demand. demand and supply. So there will be all of these rules in place. And then there will be artists that will break all of these rules because there's in such high demand that at this point, people will buy anything and they'll buy anything for any price. You know what I mean? So these are the rules, like hypothetically. Right. But again, at the end of the day, it's the market. Demand and supply determines the price. So who's your favorite artist? Of all time. Of all so time. Not the goat of artists. Yeah, for okay. you. What is it? Oh, it's Matisse. Really? Absolutely. I when think did you fall in love with him? What was the I was picture? nine years old. Really? I was uh, mm. I was with my mom in uh, in a museum in Paris and I was just, you know, like all nine year olds walking around aimlessly waiting for this day to be over. <laughs> and, uh, and, and there was this painting and there was a turning point in my life. It was a painting of an open window with a view outside of the window and it was very simple. It, there is something about his work that's very simplistic and very visceral and very easy to relate to even as a nine-year-old. And this painting made me go home and repaint that particular Oh, you tried artwork. to copy it, huh? I tried to copy it as a kid and I never stopped painting since that day. It was the one clear turnaround point in my life where I'd been messing around with colors and paints my entire life, but figuring out that I actually want to be an artist and have my art on the wall was this very minute. And he's still your favorite artist? Of all time. What company do you admire? In terms of art companies, I admire Saatchi because they've managed to turn what was essentially a private art collection to a huge gallery, to a sort of museum experience. Now they hold the British Art Fair. They have an amazing program. It's very dynamic. They show people from all around the world. They engage people with the arts. Right. And so then my follow up to that is, let's say I was an investor and you're pitching me on Tam. Why would I why should I invest in your company? The first reason would be TAM has unlimited growth potential. The sky's the limit. It's really the type of business that's flexible enough and open enough within this industry to take on anything. It can grow without boundaries. It can grow without end. It's limitless, honestly, because every and each department in the gallery can grow beyond Egypt internationally. 
there's no end to it. All the reports lately, the reports that have come from art institutions, from people that are monitoring art collecting in generally have shown an increased amount of people who are buying from the region and buying art online in general. So even though art collecting online is new to the world, it's growing again. It's one of the businesses that are one of the fields that are growing exponentially throughout the world. TAM in particular has a very, very unique stand in this game because, again, we have the largest inventory of Egyptian artwork in the world, north of 9,000 pieces and counting. And we managed to pull together what used to be a very fragmented market. So we have a connection of over 500 artists. And again, we're growing. There's no limit to the supply of art we can make because there's new artists being emerging every day. There's new art and new artists and new disciplines of art emerging every day. And we, yeah, there's no limit to creative growth. There's no limit yeah. to creative growth. There's no limit to the number of people that can join as suppliers of this talent or as makers of this. And the new and most exciting thing for us is the corporate arm, which again has no limit. It's endless. The other thing that I'd like to say is for people who are interested in investing in Egyptian contemporary art, the team is really special. The team is really strong and the team is I think that's one of our biggest edges. We have a very strong team of people who know what they're doing and they can take on a multitude of projects and they can complete them with good quality, efficiently. So I think the team is also one of our biggest edges and we've really invested a lot in, in our team. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you want to comment or maybe suggest a guest, send us an email at makingit.enterprise.press. That's Making It at Enterprise.press. Making It is produced by Enterprise, your morning briefing on business, finance, and economics in Egypt. Subscribe today for free at Enterprise.press. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows. Did you love today's episode? Like us or give us a five-star rating and a review to help others discover us. This season is brought to you by CIB, USAID, and EFG Hermes. And that's how we're making it.